Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Is at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz. <laughs> with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. You know, it's a serious topic. Big sis is a miss. Biden putting out the lights of freedom. Hold on now. I know you think you heard it all, but I don't think you heard it all. No, I don't think so. We all know that this administration is run by people who are trying to win through intimidation. They put out laws. They hire people who are very controversial, anti-constitutional, anti-American. And um, they know they can't get away with it if it was voted on or went to the Supreme Court. But they succeed by intimidating us. Already they have muted our desire to speak out we're all looking over our shoulder how many conservatives have you met recently who have said to you you know i i know that you um don't like what biden's doing and but you know i'm afraid to say it because of people around me i've heard it over and over again i said what are you so afraid of don't you live in america when did you start living in the soviet union you know i'm going to talk today about big sis is a miss and biden putting out the lights of freedom because it's true and I'm going to go back to a book somebody wrote in 2012 entitled Trickle Down Tyranny. And I'm going to say to you that everything that this man wrote in Trickle Down Tyranny applies now to Biden. He wrote it when Obama was reigning his war of terror against the population, the so-called deplorables. But now we're all deplorables, aren't we? The opening line is pretty good. Economies can be rebuilt, armies can be repopulated, but once a nation's pride is gone, it can almost never be restored. The loss of a nation's honor is something not even centuries can repair. We had a slight restoration of the nation's honor under Donald Trump, but uh, right now, this man hates America. As I wrote in that book, the next president must love America. The next president must embody unequivocally everything that is good about this country going back to its founding. The next president must be the exact opposite of, I wrote Obama, I'm gonna substitute the word Joe Biden, although he's a hologram. He is the figurative head of this government of leftist internationalists, new world order anti-American slime. The next president must be the exact opposite of Joe Biden. He must be a man of high character and strong commitment to American values because he will be facing problems and issues that no U.S. leader has had to face since the years leading up to World War II. In the late 1930s, only a few years before the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, our economy was still trying to recover from the Great Depression. In the face of the policies of a big government president and our military had been depleted, 
Our enemies were gathering strength and threatening war on many fronts. While this was going on, our president and European leaders were hiding their heads in the sand, downplaying the threat from those enemies in much the same way Joe Biden is doing today. Substitute China. The Biden administration is concealing the seriousness of many problems that affect every one of us in our everyday lives. I could jump cut right to the surge, the hordes of illegal aliens that he's bringing in through the southern border. Everybody knows what's going on. But his economic policies, just as under Obama, have caused such an enormous rise in the price of the necessities of life that we don't know if we can recover from this financial meltdown. In the face of this, I wrote, the next president must be proud of America, willing to laugh at the lunatic fringe, pushing all of the leftist theories and take on the enemies of freedom that are challenging us in every corner of the world, but most particularly challenging our freedoms here at home. The American people have been kept in the dark about what I'm talking about today on this podcast. They have been fed an endless stream of lies. They've had to endure out and out thievery by this government at their expense. I mean, the taxpayers, they've had to stand by while this administration revealed its absolutely corrupt character because the so-called press or media kept its mouth shut. You heard me. You can call it socialism, communism, Marxism, Leninism, collectivism, call it whatever you like. If we don't wake up to the reality of the situation, we face another disaster maybe four more years even after this administration is finished, of the takeover of our country by agents of the very enemy that we've been fighting against for more than 50 years. I'll continue in a while on the Michael Savage podcast today, and I will tell you that what I wrote then in 2012 in trickle-down tyranny during Obama's first horrible term really led to the Trump playbook. In the last chapter, I wrote crushing Obama's cadre before they crush us. And listen to what I wrote. Please listen. It's only a paragraph. What has happened here was a gradual habituation of the people to being governed by surprise, receiving decisions deliberated in secret to believing that the situation was so complicated that the government had to act on information that people could not understand. Isn't that exactly what has happened with covid with the last election, with the January 6th rioters, so-called, held without trial or bail, abandoning $75 billion worth of military equipment in Afghanistan, engaging us in a head-to-head war with Russia through the proxy of Ukraine. Everything they have done is a big secret, the biggest secret being who is actually running the Biden administration. Hmm? Who is actually running it? Well, people have theories. It doesn't really matter who's actually running it. Is it Obama? Is it Soros? Does it really matter? Does it really matter who's running this naked socialist presidency? The tyranny of a naked Marxist presidency was described by me back in 2012 when I said that Barack Obama signed into law legislation that spelled out his power as president of the United States to detain any U.S. citizen indefinitely on the grounds that he or she might be a, quote, terrorist. The National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA, which Obama had earlier promised to veto, represented the single most egregious rollback of American civil liberties in our nation's history. 
Obama made this horrible move under the cover of America's New Year's Eve party, while most Americans were more concerned with having a good time than with losing their freedom. Even the normally supine ACLU and human rights leftists were stunned by the naked tyranny of the president signing this bill into law. Now, of course, Obama said he did this to protect America. But what he did was he deprived U.S. citizens of the very freedom for which our military has been fighting. Everyone knows in the legal profession that the NDAA that Obama put in violates the U.S. Constitution. But the issue goes much further than simply agreement amongst lawyers. You may not remember this, and you're saying, why are you hopping at Obama? Because Obama is the father of what you're living through now. He was the most demonic anti-American president in history, and I tried to warn you. Many tried to warn you. In the three years of his first administration, he made rapid progress toward bringing the United States under his despotic rule, America remaining blissfully unaware of what he did. He accumulated power and authority over every aspect of our lives. The late assault upon our freedoms through the NDAA brings up a big question. Do average Americans even know what Joe Biden and his cronies are doing right now? I don't think so. That's because of people like the leftists who run the media. I don't have to say the New York Times. I could say Fox News. By and large, Fox News has wonderful people in it. But they're not doing a wonderful job. This is the most corrupt administration in history. The most corrupt administration in this country's history. Did you know that under the Obama administration, the rights to process our election were sold to a private company? That's right. That's when all of this voting machine business happened. This critical component of free elections, the transparent tabulation of votes, was handled not by individual precincts, but by a company over which we had no control. Did you know that? That it began under Obama? You, of course, know that Joseph Stalin said it doesn't matter who votes. What matters is who counts the votes. Obama was a very good student of Joseph Stalin. SOE, ever hear of them? A U.S. elections results processing company, which had handled processing elections results for over 500 American jurisdictions, typically provided prompt reporting of precinct level results. Then something happened. This company, SOE, was acquired by SCYTL, a vote processing company based in Spain. This compromised the process enormously. Instead of producing election results trackable at the precinct level, votes were transmitted to a central server where they will be, quote, counted. That's what Obama did. Problem was that once the votes were merged, it was impossible to go back and check their integrity at the local level. This was the final step in Barack Obama's corruption of the voting process. It enabled him and the Democrat scum to control the outcomes of elections with no accountability. On top of that, it was one more step toward the formation of a global government. One of the aims of none other than the most demonic man in American political history, in my opinion, George Soros, whose puppet, Obama, whose puppet, Biden, control America. Michael Savage, a host like no other.
There are many other things I can tell you about that happened under the first socialist couple, him and Michelle. But because of the fabrications in the media, you may not see the light of day in time. There's much more that I have to tell you about it. So much more that I have to tell you about it. Now, why did I call this book that I wrote during this first reign of terror under Obama, Trickle-Down Tyranny? You won't find the evidence of Biden's tyranny in the pages of your local newspaper or on a nightly newscast. Fox News won't touch it. Even your favorite blogger, very rare anyway, touches this. You have to travel with me into the dusty stacks of government archives, here into the pages of overseas newspapers that don't worship at uh, Biden's shrine and go where members of the government media complex fear to tread. We are in a dictatorship. Very few understand that when you put the government in the hands of a senile old man surrounded by people who believe they left this tripe that passes for course content in Americans' colleges and universities, you've submitted yourself to a tyranny. Tyranny starts at the top. The people don't cause tyranny. Their rulers do. The last time the country was faced with having to rid itself of a ruler like the one currently occupying the White House was in 1776. As part of freeing themselves from the rule of the British king, America's founding fathers compiled a long list of what makes a tyrant and what constitutes tyrannical abuses. As I went through that list, I found that uh, Biden has committed many of the abuses cataloged in the Declaration of Independence. The only thing Biden has not yet done is hire Hessian mercenaries to attack Americans in their homes and on their farms. In place of the foreign mercenaries, the Biden administration uses tax collectors, environmental regulators, zoning inspectors, and every conceivable bureaucrat to invade our homes, farms, factories, and businesses. In other words, Biden's people fit our founder's definition of a tyrant. May I read to you what they wrote? But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. The history of the present King of Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. Like King George III, Biden and his minions have become despotic, trampling on the rights of individuals and state governments. Look at some of the words of 1776 and the facts of 2022. Quote, he has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. Through his attorney general, this creep from Harvard, probably the most corrupt person in the most corrupt administration in American history, Biden has nullified the votes of states, nullified election laws, nullified immigration laws, nullified one law after another. And what was going on in the old days with the king of England? What did the king do to advance its tyranny? And what is this administration doing to advance its subversive agenda? 
I'll read to you. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. The Biden equivalent of the king's crime is this. He has created more boards and special commissions than any other president since Obama. Virtually all of their meetings are secret and the press and public are barred. These secretive task forces, which create one bill after another, whether it be about health or climate or lying to our children about how bad white people are, do not release records of their meetings or in many cases even reveal who is attending them to the public. There's no record of who has visited a Biden in his uh, weekend retreat. Did you know that? Who's visiting? We don't know. Out of these laws and these commissions, we have a government which has now the right to control the lives of over 350 million Americans. Going back to the king, he has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. I told you before that the Biden administration is bypassing Congress and using executive orders to implement their policies. That is how they're flooding this country with illegal aliens. A virtual army of single, strong men being brought in to invade this nation. Where are they all going to work? I mean, I'm not being facetious. You think there's jobs for all of these women and children and men that he's bringing in, these millions? Where are they? Where's the War Powers Act? Biden has managed to engineer the de facto dissolution of Congress through his violation of the War Powers Act. We are at war, a proxy war with Russia. Very dangerous. No vote. Law requires the president to receive congressional approval for any military actions overseas that last more than 60 days. Where was the vote on sending heavy equipment to Ukraine? Maybe Congress wouldn't be in such a hurry to send heavy equipment to Ukraine. Perhaps they would. I don't know what the rhinos would do. The words of the founders of our nation ring true today. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a, of a free people. As I have shown you over these many years in radio and in my best-selling books, Biden is a tyrant in every sense of the word. He's defied the will of the people as they expressed it in the resounding defeats whenever the people are actually asked to vote. Biden has ignored the pleas of the American people, shrugged off the rulings of state and federal court judges, going so far as to mock and insult the Supreme Court of the United States, most recently in their decision in Roe v. Wade. He has defied the attempts of states to shut down the flood of this army that he is bringing in to America. So now you know what's going on in a more, let's say, literate manner. You knew sort of what's going on, but you didn't kind of get it in exactly these terms. Years ago, I wrote, a chapter entitled Tyranny of the Egghead Wars. What I meant was how the eggheads, meaning the college girls and boys in this administration, none of whom has a bit of experience in the real world, have hijacked America's 
immigration policy and foreign policy and put us at the mercy of their own whims. A political philosophy developed by disciples of one of the most dangerous men in the world, George Soros. It's called the responsibility to protect. This doctrine lied at the foundation of the so-called Arab Spring, which became the Arab Winter. This is what led to the 2013 war against Russia in Ukraine, which is a whole separate story. This is what is leading to the most perverse anti-American, anti-Israel policy of any president since the end of World War II, which may lead to a new caliphate in the Middle East, headed by a nuclear-armed Iran. In chapter nine of a previous book, I called it the tyranny of green energy. I can go into that. We all know about that. The green energy scandals, the Solyndra, the failed solar shell corporation, followed by a $737 million loan to another phony solar company. This one with direct ties to Solyndra and to Nancy Pelosi, only two weeks after the FBI had raided Solyndra. Those were the glory days of the FBI. Green energy had become a synonym for corrupt cronyism in the Obama administration. It had nothing to do with energy policy and everything to do with shutting down America's energy production in the name of keeping political donors happening. I could go into the tyranny of the anti-justice department. But I don't want to get sidetracked in my discussion today of the tyranny of a naked Marxist presidency or how Biden is putting out the lights of freedom. And so when I return right here on the Michael Savage podcast, I would like to focus on Big Sis herself. Big Sis, a phrase I created way back when, now I hear it's all over the internet on the Big Sister is watching you. I'm glad because we all know it's not Big Brother, it's Big Sister. Just remember who created it. Michael said it, Big Sis is a miss in 2013. I'll conclude this beginning with this. The Biden gang is moving our nation, uh, the Biden gang is moving our nation backwards into the dark ages. Speech is being destroyed. The lights are going out. We have a deprivation of free speech where everyone is looking over their shoulder. We have a cult of war where they're glorifying killing Russians, killing Russian generals, blowing up Russian equipment. They're salivating. They have pushed the conception of the citizen as a mere piece of ownership that belongs to the state. This despotic administration tolerates no opinions but their own. It feeds on hatred. We all must resist the fear of speaking and expressing ourselves, the fear which now darkens the sunlight of freedom in America. I'm Michael Savage. Take these words to heart and share them with a number of people. I shall return momentarily. Thank you for listening. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Welcome back to the Michael Savage Podcast. Continuing now on the tyranny of Big Sis is a miss. It's not Big Brother who's watching you. It's Big Sis who is watching you. So, uh, before I get to the briefing, I just want to start by, uh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to talk about my friend, Corrine. You've got to come up here. I just want to uh, take the opportunity to celebrate and congratulate my friend 
my colleague, my partner in truth, Corrine Jean-Pierre, the next White House press secretary. First, as you all know, she will be the first black woman, uh, the first out LGBTQ plus person to serve in this role, uh, which is amazing because representation matters. Wow, I, I'm still processing it because um, as Jen said uh, at the top, uh, this is a historic moment and it's not lost on me. I understand how important it is for so many people out there, um, so many different communities that I um, stand on their shoulders and I have been throughout my career. And so it is an honor and a privilege to be behind this podium in about a week or so when Jen is ready. Um, and that, uh, that is something that I will honor uh, and, um, and do my best to uh, represent uh, this president and this first lady the best that I can, but also the American people. And so it is, uh, you know, it's a very emotional day. Just the other day, we read that the new press secretary is a lesbian, black lesbian, with no qualifications whatsoever other than being black and a lesbian. She'll be the face of the American government to the world press. Is in a relationship with some hack lesbian from uh, CNN. You say, well, so what? Oh, you could say, so what? And I'll say, so what? You see, when I was a kid in the 1950s, journalists and government officials didn't go to school together, marry each other, or go into business together. Journalism then was a working class trade, and there were few Ivy League graduates in the newsroom. For that matter, most journalists didn't even go to college, much less major in journalism. Journalists started out on a beat. They covered City Hall or the police department and worked their way up from there with hard-nosed editors questioning everything that they wrote. That experience, which often lasted for decades before they were promoted, shaped them into a skeptical jury of ordinary citizens with extraordinary access and information. By the time they made it to Washington, they weren't impressed by senators, ambassadors, or even presidents. They had covered politicians for decades and knew the breed well. They were suspicious, even hostile. They knew that they were the, quote, People's Intelligence Service and had to be tough to earn their readers' trust. And they enjoyed catching the politicians trying to pull a fast one. Today, journalists go to Ivy League schools and start in Washington, D.C., they attend the same schools they send their kids to. More to the point, they attend the same schools as government officials, whether it's Jake Tapper or the new press secretary. They socialize with politicians and then brag about them coming to, a, to dinner parties at their homes. I can give you one example after another. The Correspondents Association dinner itself is a love-in between the press and the Biden administration. Back in 09, Obama joked, all of you voted for me. I am Barack Obama. Most of you covered me. All of you voted for me. <laughs> Apologies to the Fox table. There He won huge applause for that line because of the nearly 2,000 members of the working press in that room, 
91% of the broadcast and print media voted for Democrats. Of course, now the press and the media are living together, let alone married. I can give you one example after the other. There's so many examples, and this is the most recent one, of course, which is the new press secretary in a relationship with a a so-called broadcaster from CNN. If you've wondered why you hear the same thing from every news outlet in the country, it's because, quote, big media has such a streak of ideological conformity. It is the same people pushing the same agenda. It's uh, why you hear all about the wonders of global warming, climate change, never about the scandals involved with the contracts. It's why you hear only how great Ukraine is and how wonderful Zelensky is, and never about the crimes they committed against the regions of Ukraine that were under their control in which Russian citizens, Russian-speaking citizens lived. You heard nothing about the atrocities. It's why you hear all about the need for gun control, the need for abortion, but never about the botched examples of this government. It's why you hear all about the benefits of diversity, but never learn about the crimes committed by illegals or the crime wave being conducted by black males right now in the streets of this country. You heard me right. You know about the attacks on Asians, don't you? It's almost 99%, almost 99% of the cases are black males beating up innocent Asians in the streets. They would lead you to believe it's the militias, white militias doing it. That's why you hear nothing about it. In March of 1998, going back in time a little bit now, at the famous Commonwealth Club of San Francisco, I warned the public about the growing power of the government media complex. I knew and I know the media inside and out. Like Eisenhower, I know what I'm talking about, and I have the guts to say it. In that speech, I demonstrated that the elite media The television networks, the major newspapers, the big magazines, the radio stations, the wire services, and of course, the social media operators were aligned with the governing class of the country. The press is supposed to quote, listen carefully, they're supposed to quote, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, unquote. But now they're cozy cronies of the government. Let me repeat it because it'll be robbed by the others at Fox News. The press is supposed to, quote, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. But now they are cozy cronies of the government. They're supposed to be watchdogs, but they are now lapdogs. They're supposed to be Rottweilers, but now they're she sues. And they carry out their servile duties in two ways. Highlighting the stories that the government crowd wants pushed and ignoring the stories that hold the government accountable. Let me quote directly from the Commonwealth Club speech on March 12, 1998. It's a speech that should live in infamy or infamy. It's an important speech. All of it is still accurate today, or I wouldn't bother you with it today. When I talked about beware the government media complex, I said this. I said, it is censorship by default as well. What do I mean by censorship by default? where the commercial interests of the media, moguls, are so intertwined with government policy as to create an overly friendly image of government officials and their policies. It may not be as clear as a close conspiracy to bias the news, but it results in the same form of censorship of dissent. Now, this bias is not limited to the left. It is largely a product of left-wing bias 
when it comes to certain social issues, such as affirmative action, gay rights, and illegal aliens, and immigration, of course. I could add in the war against Russia. But the right also biases the news when it wants to shape fiscal issues to its benefit. Example, Rupert Murdoch and the China scandal a while back. I'd like to play a small portion of that famous speech now. Beware the government media complex. I hope to prove to you over the next period of time that perhaps never before in American history has there been so cozy a relationship. And this, by the way, transcend right or left has nothing to do with race, has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with press freedom. And I want to state that from the outset. I believe that today we have a relationship that is too cozy between government and media. Many of the speeches that are given before the Commonwealth Club, many of them, are picked up and rebroadcast by the local NPR radio station. Do you see any NPR people here? No. Many of the speeches given before the Commonwealth Club are transmitted on C-SPAN, which is paid for by the cable companies. Do you see any C-SPAN cameras here? Beware the government media complex. You know, the media, ladies and gentlemen, as you well know, is needed by you and by me, by the public, very badly needed to be and to remain a thorn in the side of the government. In order to keep the government relatively honest, you need a media that's constantly poking at them. However, when the media instead becomes a thorn in the side of the skeptical private citizen, the media then becomes an arm of the government. Beware the government media complex. When agitators for the homeless riot, when they burn trash cans, they break the law, but they're held up as freedom fighters for the poor by the left-leaning press. But if one compassionate conservative dares to speak out, he's condemned to the gulag of media silence, the gulag of media exile. This startling bias in the media is more threatening to the pillars of our republic than even the most ardent conservative might believe. It is censorship by default as well. What do I mean by censorship by default? Where the commercial interests of the media, moguls, are so intertwined with government policy as to create an overly friendly image of government officials and their policies. So it may not be as clear as a conspiracy to bias the news, but it comes out to be the same thing anyway. Now this bias is not limited to the left. It is largely a product of left-wing bias when it comes to certain social issues such as affirmative action or gay rights. But the right also biases the news when it wants to shade fiscal issues to their benefit. I first began this file on the government media complex about three years ago. I noticed an alarming bias occurring, and I knew that without correction, this could sink the ship of truth. Now, surely other administrations have had their friends in high media places, but still there were many voices and many views of dissent which found their way into the national media. But now we have a growing media blackout of some serious crimes and misdemeanors, all unsolved to the satisfaction of those with critical powers of reason. We know about these events because the dam of silence has cracked. But owned media hacks and hackettes apply their journalistic bondo with the excitement of fruit flies dancing on a rotting tomato. And who has paid for their crimes and misdemeanors? And who is being blackmailed? 
The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. When I began my file on the government media complex, I noticed an alarming bias, and I knew this could sink the ship of truth. Sink the ship of truth. Surely other administrations have had their friends in high media places. Still, there were many voices and many views of dissent that found their way into the national media. But now we have a growing media blackout of some serious crimes and misdemeanors, all unsolved to the satisfaction of those with critical faculties of reason. Each and every issue as reflected in the old line news media, that is the TV network news and the establishment newspapers and magazines, is a parallel reflection of official Clinton policy. Remember, I I wrote this in 1990. I spoke this in 1998. I went on. Listen to this carefully, if you will. Tell me if you agree. Hoover Institution historian Robert Conquest said that in the former Soviet Union, the press was totally under the control of the state. All editors were members of the Communist Party. Here in the United States of America, a frighteningly imbalanced Washington press corps exists. Over 95% of these apparatchiks of the DNC voted for Bill Clinton in 1992, 89% in 1992, probably 99% today. And I'll repeat, I ended by saying this. Let me repeat. The media is needed by the public to be and remain a thorn in the side of the government in order to keep the government relatively honest. But when the media instead becomes a thorn in the side of the skeptical private citizen, the media then becomes an arm of the government. Unquote. I said, is this not worrisome? And I closed with beware the government media complex. That was in 1998. Do you know what happened to me in 2009? I was banned from entering Britain for things I said and never said. I was banned from entering a nation. I was the first major figure in American media to be canceled by an entire nation. And who spoke out for me? Very few. The people did. The citizens did. I say to you, beware the government media complex. The government media complex today is more dangerous and more powerful than ever. In this podcast today, I will show you irrefutable evidence that the so-called mainstream media wouldn't dare report. But let's take a tour first of the government media complex. I began this piece by talking about the new press secretary, a young and black female who is identified as a lesbian. We all have to know about that, of course. I'd rather I didn't know about it. I could care less about her sexuality, but now I care a lot about her sexuality. Why? Because it shapes everything she does. And she will use her race and her sexual orientation to browbeat any questions. She will hide behind those two things and say that you're racist or sexist or anti-gay. I can give you one example after another about things you've never heard about in the mainstream media, whether it's at CNN, Fox News, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, whether it's at Twitter or Facebook or Google, they're all intertwined. A big loving, press marrying, living with government officials. Back in the old days, uh, NBC on-air reporter Andrea Mitchell in 1997 married then-chairman of the United States Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan. Or then the case of President Obama's ambassador to the U.N., Susan Rice, still behind the scenes, married to an ABC News executive. Or this Christiane Amanpour, I don't know where she is now, married to a former Bill Clinton State Department spokesmouth, 
Other journalists treat the wall between the press and the people they cover as a revolving door. There are many of them, and they're on the right as well. Many, many of them went between government media, whether a Dana Perino, a former Bush White House spokeswoman, anchoring a show on Fox News Channel called The Five, or whatever she's doing now, or one columnist after another going from Fox News in and out of the government, or heading divisions of Simon & Schuster at the time, book publishing outfits. They were all intertwined. It's why you hear about all of the leftist tripe and tropes, all of them. But you never hear about the soldiers and CIA agents who are being decimated by terrorists. You never hear about the brave soldiers or intrepid CIA men who save our lives. The government media complex is just one big happy family with journalists marrying living with or going into business with government officials or becoming government officials themselves. Media and government are now one interchangeable class. And like all aristocracies, they seek power by taking away your rights. We have to look at how they do it. And uh, one of the key examples would be the Soros-Murdoch media war. Soros, as you all know, owns Biden. He owned Obama. Barack Obama was George Soros's factotum. It's not the other way around. Soros is using Biden and the entire U.S. press to fight the American people and to bring us down. And right now, Soros is winning. One after the other, they're winning every battle. Remember, before I was banned in Britain, I was attacked by MediaMatters.org, a website funded by George Soros's millions. Media Matters went after me day after day under the uh, advice of certain individuals. And shortly thereafter, Britain banned me for entering their country. And so here we are today. The tyranny of the government media complex, the light of our freedoms going out. One example after another. And where will it end is the question. Will we have any speech left at all? Who will we blame when we have no freedoms whatsoever? Michael Savage, a host like no other. Uh, Welcome back to the Michael Savage podcast. It's been said that free speech is not free. And that free speech was forged in blood. 100% true. Example, today is the 9th of May. It's Victory Day in Europe. A holiday honoring World War II. It has been predicted that Putin will go on a massive offensive to wrap things up and take eastern Ukraine and try to put a ribbon around this as a victory. We don't know. We know this. This morning's New York Times is so jingoistic and so filled with yellow journalism that it makes the older version of the New York Times look conservative and rational. And so I'll read this to you. Tell me if this is not war fever. For much of the past two decades, they write, the U.S. and its European allies have chosen not to confront Vladimir Putin. Let me stop right there. Not to confront? So they wanted war now for the last 20 years? Is that it? Suddenly, the New York Times, the flag-waving peacenik newspaper, is now screaming that we've been supine because we wouldn't go into a war with Russia? Let me continue, sentence by sentence. Even as Russia invaded Georgia, annexed Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula, 
shot down a passenger jet and interfered in a U.S. presidential election. What? The West did relatively little to stop him. Interfered in a U.S. presidential election? Russia collusion? Hasn't that been proven to be bullshit? Of course it has. It's nonsense. There are so many lies in these few sentences, it's hard to believe a newspaper would publish that today. It says, the U.S. only imposed sanctions too porous to have much effect on the oligarchs around Putin and stayed far away from any military confrontation with Russia. Again, let me pause. Now they want military confrontation with Russia? This is hard to believe I'm actually reading this. So it says, now the Western leaders have changed their minds. Past two months, the U.S. and the EU and their allies have shown an entirely new level of assertiveness toward Russia, providing Ukraine's military with information to help it kill Russian generals on the battlefield and sink the Moskva, a 200-yard-long warship that was the flagship of Russia's Black Sea Fleet. The West also continues to send weapons to Ukraine and enforce harsh economic sanctions on Russia. Again, let me pause right there. Why are we provoking Putin? Why is the New York Times and the entire liberal establishment, if you want to call them that, trying to provoke a war with Russia. Why? There are so many answers to this question that I'll have to do them during another podcast. So then the writer goes on to say, what explains this turnabout? This is David Leonhardt of the New York Times, the warmonger. He says, I pose that question to my colleague Helene Cooper, another genius. One of the reporters we should say one of the liars, one of the propagandists who has broken stories about the collaboration between the American and Ukrainian militaries. And our conversation helped me understand the main reasons. Today's newsletter, he writes, focuses on this rapid and consequential change in American foreign policy. Well, I won't read any more to you. We do know that uh, the Biden team, the sorority girls and sorority boys around Biden, abruptly withdrew from Afghanistan, left behind $150 billion worth of equipment, and got American troops killed. It says, well, the Americans withdrew from Afghanistan, and it was deeply frustrating for the U.S. Frustrating? How about for the people who died? How about for the people who were left behind who were now turned into slaves of the Taliban? Now they put down the Afghan government. Now they put down the Afghan soldiers. So he goes on, this idiot, and says the defeat there has haunted members of the Biden administration and the U.S. military court. They were scarred from Afghanistan, Helene says. Oh, Helene, you're so brilliant. Have another drink on me. On the surface, Ukraine initially looked like another lost cause. Its military was far smaller, and they go on to glorify the U.S. military and such. It says how brave the Ukrainians are, which they are. And then they go on to talk about how Putin's aggression needs to be stopped again. And I'll continue with what they wrote. His interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election was certainly aggressive, but it was also amorphous. Nobody could be sure exactly how much it mattered. And the Trump administration had an obvious incentive to downplay it. Total 100% lie. 100% a lie about the 2016 U.S. election. Now, this is the same newspaper that refuses to acknowledge that we have a senile president who's deeply enmeshed in the corruption in Ukraine, who has a junkie son who's enmeshed in corruption in Ukraine and China, and we're supposed to believe a word of this? Well, I can go on. And now they're glorifying, glorifying war with Russia. And they quote one of the worst of all of them, a left-wing fanatic, and I'll read it to you. 
as Evelyn Farkas, by the way, she should get a prize for being one of the worst people in American political history. As Evelyn Farkas, by the way, appointed by Barack Hussein Obama, a former Pentagon official said, describing the new U.S. policy, quote, we will give them everything they need to win and we're not afraid of Vladimir Putin's reaction to that. We won't be self-deterred. This is a woman who worked for Obama who is now provoking Russia into a thermonuclear war. So now the writer of this writes too far with a question mark. The U.S. and its allies still have tough decisions to make. Some officials and experts worry that the West continues to err on the side of caution and not giving Ukraine what its president, Vladimir Zelensky, says he needs to win. And they quote some retired general, who says we have been deterred out of an exaggerated fear of what possibly could happen. This, this general should be held up on war crimes for saying a thing like that. What do you mean what possibly could happen? Russia is a thermonuclear power, you moron. They're now united with China, you idiot. These are all jingoistic Pentagon commercial consultants. Every last one of them has their finger in consultant ships with weapons manufacturers. This article goes on to show you what yellow journalism is in America. And the reason I'm focusing on this is because it's May 9th and because this could lead to a nuclear war. Other experts think the U.S. may be overcompensating for its initial weakness toward Putin is now risking a wider confrontation. Thomas Friedman, oh, what a genius he is, the Times columnist, the Times loser, yellow journalist, captured this worry in his most recent column, The Sinking of the Moskva, and targeting of Russian generals, he wrote, quote, suggest we are no longer in an indirect war with Russia, but rather edging toward a direct war, and no one has prepared the American people of Congress for that, close quote. You're a genius, Friedman. I had that on my podcast for the last three weeks. Of course it's a proxy war with Russia that you have egged this moronic administration onto. When have you last called for diplomats to settle this thing? So then he concludes his little article where there are no easy answers. The old strategy of appeasement without calling it so encouraged Putin to become more aggressive, believing the West was too frightened to respond. The new strategy, confrontation without fully acknowledging it, risks a fight with the nuclear power that many Americans and Europeans do not want. No, oh, you want it? That many Americans do not want? No, you want it? You schmuck, you? You're bulletproof? Your building is immune to a nuclear strike. So my friends, this is the world we are now living in. A world filled with foolish men and women who are confronting a nuclear-powered Russia, rightly or wrongly. I know many of you are banging the war drums as well. I have a totally different opinion than most Americans do. This is not our fight. And no, Putin will not take all of Europe. No, it's not the way it is. It's not what's uh, on the Russian mind. I've covered this in previous podcasts. But these are examples of what we're facing right now. There are other examples of press bias or media bias that must be talked about on this podcast. Here's an article that came out Sunday night of this week by Carol Markowitz of the New York Post. Here's a fabulously truthful article. Listen to this one. When New York City's Jewish Museum bans DeSantis, it sends a clear message to all Jews. I said, what the hell is this? Listen to this story. In a Wall Street Journal piece, Elliot Abrams and Eric Cohen, respectively chairman and CEO of Tikva and co-chairman of the Jewish Leadership Conference, reveal that Manhattan's Museum of Jewish Heritage canceled 
a planned event at the museum because Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was an invited speaker. Can you believe this? Wright Abrams and Cohen, quote, we were working closely with the museum on the details for the June 12th event, and until out of the blue, we were told by the museum staff that Mr. DeSantis didn't align with the museum's values and its message of inclusivity. Either we disinvite the governor, they said, or our event was unwelcome. Can you believe this? Again, the gay and lesbian issue? Is that all that's on the mind of Jews in the museum? Is gays and lesbians again? The museum gingerly pushed back on its Twitter account. It said this wasn't a free speech or censorship issue, but, quote, simply a contractual and logistical decision. Are you kidding me? This is the college uh, girl again. They think they're so clever. They think they can outsmart everyone on the planet. I'll go on. She writes, yes, the museum made the contractual and logistical decision to deny rental space to Tikva, an organization that has hosted many events in the museum, because DeSantis was to be a speaker. It's not a, quote, free speech or censorship issue, since that implies government to stopping the speech. And that is clearly not happening here. Thinking it's smarter than everyone else, the museum added a carefully worded tweet saying, quote, we welcome Governor DeSantis and elected officials from across the spectrum to visit the Museum of Jewish Heritage, a living memorial to the Holocaust, for a tour of our new exhibition, The Holocaust, What Hate Can Do When It Opens This Summer, unquote. So listen to what Carol Markowitz writes. So it won't block the door if DeSantis buys a ticket for a tour, but no one is welcome to host the governor for an event at the museum. Got it, she writes. Meanwhile, the museum allowed a 2018 event with Alexandria Occasional Cortex about a month after she was forced to dial back her support for a two-state solution in Israel, as leftist thought does not allow for Israel's existence at all. She writes, quote, does that quote align with the museum's values, unquote? Is this the ideology we must all be forced to adhere to before renting space at the museum? What hate can do is driving Americans apart. Anyone still funding the Museum of Jewish Heritage should think long and hard about whether it's something worth supporting. I agree 100%. And it just shows you how far the gay and lesbian leftist cabal has gone that it would hijack the New York City Jewish Museum and ban one of the finest politicians in American history, Ron DeSantis. I'm Michael Savage, and I agree with every word I just said. But there's a lot more that needs to be said, and I will say shortly on this podcast home of borders language culture the savage nation i'll give you an example from the past of more to come and i'll call this little segment pick your battles i'm reading now from my book the enemy within saving america from the liberal assault on our schools faith and military and it was written, I believe, a long time ago, in 2003, if you can believe it, 19 years ago. Wow, it's <laughs> a long time ago. I've been at this quite a while. And the reason I'm reading it is not to fill up space, but because it works, it fits, it's perfect. And this is called Pick Your Poison. Let's see if that fits here. No, I think I, think I should read from Pick Your Battles. I open this book by saying, who is the enemy within? Are there names to be named? Yes. There are enough names to fill this entire book. Perhaps we should put our own names in this book. 
Why do I say that? Because most of us have failed our own democratic system by not being vigilant. Most of us have looked the other way while our borders, language, and culture have been diluted. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Well, okay, so here we go, and we move into the body of the book, and we get to the part I wanted to read with you today. Either I'll go to the Hollywood idiots in a moment, but first I have to read this to you because I actually didn't know this had occurred until I saw it uh, when looking at it yesterday. I'll just read it to you, see what you think. Pick your battles. Just days before the Iraq war, I received this one-page letter of invitation to participate on an anti-war panel. Dear Michael, on behalf of the board of directors of the Creative Coalition, we are delighted to invite you to be a distinguished panelist at the Creative Coalition Forum on Freedom of the Press during wartime. Other invited panelists include Sean Penn, Norman Lear, Mayor Willie Brown, Maria Shriver, and U.S. Senator Diana Weinstein. The audience will include leaders from the media, entertainment, and the arts, and we're going to talk about the war. The coalition was started over a decade ago by industry activists Susan Sarandon, Alec Baldwin, Christopher Reeve, Ron Silver, and Stephen Collins. So I wrote this. They invited me to be the token conservative. Isn't this amazing? I looked at the letterhead. It listed William Baldwin as president. Members of the advisory board included... Tony Goldwyn, Alec Baldwin, Harvey Keitel, and other foreign policy experts. Here's the response I faxed back to them. Shall I bring my own horns and tail? That's funny. Shall I bring my own horns and tail? I'm not making this up. This is the absolute truth. How could they have been serious? Did they honestly think I would go to an event funded by these people? This was not believable to me. The invitation said, this is a premier nonprofit, nonpartisan social and public advocacy organization of the arts and entertainment industry. Our mission is to educate and mobilize leaders in the arts community on the issues of public importance, especially in the areas of First Amendment rights, unquote. These are the same people behind the gutter groups who are trying to drive me off the radio. Now, remember, this was a long time ago. So much for the First Amendment rights. These illiberals would be in, these illiberal would be intellectuals don't believe in the First Amendment. What audacity to send me such a snare. Oh, and here's the good part. They were planning a private VIP dinner after the program. I'm wondering if they plan to provide me with a food taster. My point, you have to pick your battles. There will be times when you will want to stand up for America in the classroom. You'll want to defend your president. Well, at that time, if it was a good president, at the beauty parlor. You'll want to publicly show support for our military as they fight the war against terrorism. Yes, times when you want to lock horns with the libs, but a word of caution is in order. Sometimes you might be walking into an ambush, so watch your back. The enemy within is playing for keeps. Don't be seduced by their seductive increase the peace rhetoric. Don't be intimidated by their anti-America trash talk. Don't be fooled by their lies about our mission. And whatever you do, don't let them extinguish your passion to defend your country. Why? One dirty bomb from them can ruin your whole day. So as you can see, this is not a new battle. It's an age-old battle going back to biblical days when Jesus was crucified. Never forget that the Sanhedrin was composed of a certain number of rabbis, and not all of them voted to crucify Jesus. Only a majority did. But there were those who stood up 
for Jesus, which is why you must stand up for our borders, language, and culture, because without that, we have no nation. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.